Greetings, everyone. Welcome back to Canadian Meets the South. This is episode three. Um, today I'll be reviewing Jefferson Davis's The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government, volume one. I listened to the vol uh, to the book on LibriVox. It was split up into two sections, volumes 1A and 1B, and the next podcast will be on volume 2. It'll be a while, for, uh, because um, I've been... It, it takes a while to finish these audiobooks, but I'll share my thoughts on what I learned so far from volume one. So Jefferson Davis goes into detail a lot, not just about the rise of the Confederate government, but also the nature of the Union. At the beginning of the, uh, the book, Volume One A. They uh, Jefferson Davis talks about the formation of the Union during the war. They there was f first the Articles of Confederation that that were drafted in uh, the during the American Revolutionary War or the American War for Independence. And later on, they would, uh, the United States would create the United States Constitution to replace the Articles of Confederation. So Jefferson Davis goes into how they were ratified, both the Articles of Confederation and the Constitution. And he points out that Maryland took a while to ratify the Articles of Confederation. Maryland ratified in 1781, and the, it was the last state to ratify. And the, the Articles were drafted in 1777. So it took several years for Maryland to ratify. And then you have the case in in for the constitution north carolina and rhode island uh initially initially rejected the united states constitution so jefferson davis talks about secession how the 11 states because originally there were 13 the 11 states the, the states that that uh, Rhode Island and North Carolina are not a part of. They voted to ratify in 1788. And, uh, and the Constitution came into effect in 1789. There were, it only needed, uh, the Constitution only needed nine states to ratify, but they had, a, they, had 11 and so North Carolina and Rhode Island 
they were still, they were left with the Articles of Confederation, while the Eleven seceded from the Articles of Confederation to form uh, a quote-unquote per, more perfect unit union uh, under the Constitution. And North Carolina and Rhode Island would eventually join the Union. They would eventually ratify the United States Constitution. But Jefferson Davis points out that these two instances, how how it, the la how the ratification of the states were staggered. They were not because uh, this, since the states the states were the sovereign entities. Each Jefferson Davis points out that it was the states as free and independent states. Uh, Jefferson Davis uses the Declaration of Independence a lot he, in the in, in his book to to justify secession. And there was no need f for uh, another declaration of independence because the states were already declared independent in in 1776. So the the people of of the southern states were exercising their independence when they seceded from the United States. And he goes into um, the one people thesis pushed by Joseph Story, uh, who was a Supreme Court justice, and Daniel Webster, who was a member of Congress. He was many things. He was, he started off in federal politics as a member of the House of Representatives and he and later as a senator with some time as Secretary of State under William Henry Harrison, John Tyler, and Millard Fillmore. So these two men, there was another man, I forgot, who also pushed the one people thesis that the United States what is one people, composed of one people. And he and Jefferson Davis uses the fact that the states ratified the, the Articles of Confederation and the United States Constitution separately. And also he uh, goes into, he also brings up a lot, Patrick Henry, Patrick Henry's speech in the Virginia Constitutional Convention. Patrick Henry, one of, one of, Patrick Henry had very, had several speeches. He was one of the main opponents of the Constitution and his speech, we the people or we the states, is, uh, was one of the was an important one because the preamp he he's it's he refers to the preamble of the United States Constitution 
how it starts with we the people. And he uses this as evidence of uh, to, to show that the United States Constitution would create a consolidated republic rather than a confederated one. And James Madison's reply to this was, we the people refers to the people of the sovereign states. The people, the states are sovereign, but it's not the, it's not, it's really not the, the governments of the states. It's the people of each of the states are sovereigns. And he also, bring, uh, Jefferson Davis also brings up the re, uh, why secession is unconstitutional. I mean, is constitutional. He, uh, the two reasons are it's a voluntary that it's a voluntary union, as he goes into the origins of the union, as well as the Tenth Amendment, which uh, states that all powers that are not granted to the to the federal government are reserved to the states or to the people. And so this is um the this is the main reason. No, th this, these are the main the, the two main points of that Jefferson Davis uses for why secession is legal. Now, he talks about um, the sectional strife in uh, the Union, and he actually doesn't bring up 1794, about how Oliver Ellsworth and Rufus King, Northerners, uh, had confronted John Taylor of Caroline from Virginia about secession, because that was the first time that um, there was talk of secession, and but he would go uh, his main, but he does give the good a good point about how the Northerners were were the first ones who agitated for secession, and he doesn't go into all of the different events, um, but he does go into the purchase of Louisiana in 1803 and later the uh, the creation of the state of Louisiana in both during both of these events the northerners were threatening secession but you know there were other events there was thomas uh there was john adams losing the election in 1800 but it wasn't it wasn't clear who would be president, um, either Thomas Jefferson or Aaron Burr, because they had tied in the Electoral College. And eighteen oh one, when Thomas Jefferson remember Thomas Jeff Jefferson was a Virginian, Aaron Burr was from New York. Thomas Jefferson beats Aaron Burr in the House of Representatives to become president. They also uh, the north the northerners also 
Britain secession over this. Well, they, talk, they talked about it. Then there's 1807, when Thomas Jefferson signs the Embargo Law. And this really hurt the New England states, of their, their economies, anyway. Um, and then there was the War of 1812. The New, New Englanders were also turning secession. And later on, which is way, way past the founding, there was the admission of Texas at, um, in 1845 to the Union. And one of, and he, Jefferson Davis names a few people, significant people who, Northerners, who threatened secession multiple times. One of these guys was Timothy Pickering, who had served as Secretary of State and War, I, um, under John Adams, and also Secretary of State or War under George Washington. I, I, he was, uh, Timothy Pickering was from New England and he was, he was one of the, the cabinet members that John Adams inherited from George Washington, but fired because John, John Adams thought that he was loyal to Alexander Hamilton. He, he inherited most of the men that he, that John Adams inherited, he fired because he thought they were, they were loyal to Alexander Hamilton. But Timothy Pickering was the, was a leader of the New England secessionists and uh, his political career essentially ended after the Hartford Convention, in which you know takes, took place in Hartford, Connecticut, they were in which the New England states were convened together, and they were going to decide whether or not to secede. And because of because of this, um, the Federalist Party, which was which its base was in the North, uh, because when it when it uh, came out that they were talking about secession, the Federalist Party was doomed to die. But what is the sectional strife all about? And Jefferson Davis wants to dispel the myth that it was about abolition of slavery in the States. Uh, the sectional strife between the North and South is about political power and the territories. Would the territories, the Western territories, the Western territories would eventually become states, but they, uh, how would these new states that came from territories align uh, with economically? Would they... Would they align with the North or would they align with the South? The South was an agricultural economy. And so that's why they had slavery and it was a, it's a hotter climate. 
and um, while the North was became was a manufacturing economy, well, maybe not at the at the very founding, in or at, at the beginning of the constitutions in the seventeen eighties, but but it evolved to become a manufacturing economy, and that's why it favored high protectionist tariffs and to pay for internal improvements while the South was an agricultural community and it paid and it favored free trade. And so the reason why the North stopped slavery wasn't because uh, the Northern states had, uh, in the northern states, slavery was not that popular. It was because of the climate, claims uh, Jefferson Davis. It's not because these guys are are morally su superior to Southerners. It's because of the climate, and and the climate affected the economy, and the economy ha didn't have that much use for slaves. So, with these two different types of economies, the North and the South, uh, they are in a power struggle over the, the Western territories because the Western territories would eventually become states and the states, those states would either, uh, would, and the, the North and the South would try to uh, get them to, to align with their side. So the, the power struggle was like how they struggled over over the states was slavery it was slavery in the states and the people against uh slavery going into the states they believe uh they believe congress had the power because because the uh, congress had control over the over the territories while the south believed that it would violate property rights. Jefferson Davis doesn't really use the use the Fifth Amendment. Well, he doesn't use it by name, but that's essentially what what uh they were uh what the South was uh was saying, what their constitutional argument. Well, there's also the Tenth Amendment of why the Congress cannot stop slaves from entering the territories. And so this is a this is really um complicated question because the nature of the union is that the the states are sovereign. And so the you have this uh the the power struggle over slavery be, um, in the territory starts in 1820. There was already the power struggle in 1803 because uh, with the Louisiana Purchase because the the North believed that the South uh, would uh, the the territories which uh, the states that would come from the territory of Louisiana would ally with the South because. Because the South was uh, 
the South was an agricultural economy, and they believed that the territory of Louisiana, which was a lot of which was farmland, would ally with the South and with the agricultural South economically, and they would the states from that would be formed from the Louisiana Territory would vote in a block with with uh, the southern states. But 1820 is when slavery comes into the mix with the territories. This is known as the Compromise of 1820. And the majority, uh, the, the strength of, of the opposition to the Compromise of 1820, which uh, James Monroe signed, uh, he, uh, Jefferson Davis doesn't really berate James Monroe, but, but uh, it, it was clear that, that um, James Monroe was out of touch with his fellow Virginians. Because uh, the main, the main uh, opposition to the Compromise of 1820 came from Virginia and Georgia. Which were, which were, which was, which were the southern, which were southern states. So the Compromise of eighteen twenty was about admitting Missouri into the Union, and the South's argument. Well, the Missouri Compromise had stated that Missouri would be allowed to enter into the Union as a slave state, but all of the territory above its southern border, excluding Missouri itself. No, so, north of its southern border would be, would be free from slaves. And this is unconstitutional because, because it's putting, the Congress is putting conditions on the admission of Missouri as a state and as well as well as whether or not Congress has authority to to regulate slavery in the territories because slave slaves are property so the fifth amendment prohibits the general government from from uh, interfering with the property of of everyone, no matter what type of property it is, and so Jefferson Davis said that Northerners uh, under under um, restriction of of slavery in the territories. Northerners could could move all of their property there, but Southerners couldn't if it was slave property. So this was a this was a constitutional question. This was not a a moral question. And another reason why uh, late later on you would have sorry um. Later on, you would have the Compromise of 1850, and then the Kansas-Nebraska Act, and the 
1857 Dred Scott decision. And I'll go over each of these and and uh, how Calhoun was, sorry, oh, Jefferson Davis was with uh, uh, and his views, his views on each of these opinions. Now, yeah, I mentioned Calhoun. He deeply admired John C. Calhoun. Um, but uh, I'll I'll talk about about um, uh, Davis um, and Calhoun later. Um, in the Compromise of eighteen fifty, you would have another another um, set of ideas. Uh, another compromise when it comes when it comes to slavery of the territories. In eighteen forty eight. Uh, Zachary Taylor was uh, uh, was elected as president. He was he 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 got his fame from being a general in the Mexican American War, and he had defeated Louis Cass for um, uh, who was the Democratic nominee, Jefferson Davis. Talks about his admiration for Zachary Taylor. Uh, Jefferson Davis was actually married to Zachary Taylor's daughter for a short bit until his daughter died. So he had deep admiration for Zachary Taylor as a soldier because, well, Jefferson Davis was a soldier himself and he. He comes from a military family. His father had fought in the American Revolutionary War, and his brothers, his older brothers, had fought in the War of 1812. So, military, the military was in Jefferson Davis's blood, and he wanted, and he married uh, Zachary Taylor's daughter uh, who would who would die shortly after the marriage but he said about the 1848 election I have no I had no I had uh, that he had no issues with the qualities of General Taylor um, and, but the problem was that as a Whig, all his advisors would be Whigs in when he entered the when he lived in when he would live in the presidential mansion as as president in the executive. I don't think it was called the White House at this time. I think it, the the more popular term was the executive mansion. And Jefferson Davis favored Lewis Cass, who he didn't like as much. I mean, Lewis Cass was a northerner. Although Lewis Cass was called a doe face, a northerner with southern sympathies. He was in he but but um he was a northerner nonetheless, and this is why many uh, but Jefferson Jefferson Davis chose to support Lewis Cass over Zachary Taylor because Lewis Cass was a Democrat, and so was Jefferson Davis. 
but Zachary Taylor wins. And when it comes to 1850, Zachary Taylor was actually skeptical of some of the parts of the Compromise of 1850. There's also the Nashville Convention in, in 1849, which the southern, th southern states gathered to discuss secession because um, of, the, of the brewing up of the sectional strife over slavery. And, uh, but Zachary Taylor dies before the Compromise of 1850 happens. Well, the Compromise of 1850 is really five bills. And so Millard Fillmore eventually signs them because Mil Millard Fillmore was the vice president at the time of Zachary Taylor's death. And he signs the, the Compromise of 1850. And, uh, but Calhoun was against the Compromise of 1850 because, well, Quite simply, he's a states' rights man, and he believes only the states have the power to to regulate slavery. And this was, uh, as the Compromise of 1850 went through Congress, uh, John C. Calhoun was dying, and another senator had read his final speech, because Calhoun was physically unable to, and this final speech was, was against the Compromise of 1850. So there's that compromise, um, which, yeah, added more restrictions to slavery in the territories. Um, then there's 1854, the Kansas-Nebraska Act. Uh, which, uh, you know, admits Kansas and Nebraska. And this would later result in bleeding Kansas because, uh, well, I don't, I don't remember all the details, but it, it was basically a civil war in Kansas between pro and anti-slavery anti factions. And <laughs> because the, these pro and anti-slavery factions, both of them had immigrants from other states to, to populate the state. And the Kansas, the Kansas Nebraska Act, which Franklin Pierce was hesitant to, to sign. Now, see, I should have mentioned 1852, um, because Franklin Pierce becomes president to replace Millard Fillmore, and uh, uh, Jefferson Davis was recruited to become the Secretary of War. And Jefferson Davis talks about this is the only time in which the uh, the entire administration has all of the same cabinet ministers for all four years, for the entire term. And, and that's true up to this day. And Jefferson Davis talked about there's a little bit of brotherhood between the cabinet ministers. But uh, 1854, Franklin Pierce signs... Because, but this overturns the Missouri Compromise and allows uh, Kansas to become a slave state. Oh, this is... I'm embarrassing myself because I don't know that much about the Kansas-Nebraska Act. But 
this is one of the because of the because of bleeding Kansas. Uh, you uh, in the eighteen fifty six Democratic Convention. Um, you would see Buchanan defeat Pierce. So, why, um, what is so important about the Kansas-Nebraska Act? It is, a uh, the, it is, uh, the doctrine of popular sovereignty, or as Jefferson Davis and its opponents in the South would call, squatter sovereignty. Because, well, what popular sovereignty was espoused by Senator Stephen Douglas from Illinois, a Northern Democrat. Stephen Douglas was fine with territorial legislatures uh, voting up or down the, uh, the existence of slavery in the territories. And constitutionally, the so so Southern Democrats did not like this. Uh, Stephen Douglas was the main drafter of the Kansas-Nebraska Act. But Jefferson Davis's and other Southern Democrats, they, um, they disagreed with this. They called it unconstitutional because um, only the states have that power. Congress does not have that power. And Congress is not sovereign. And neither are the states legislators. No, neither are the territorial legislatures. It is only the states that are the sovereigns that can make this decision. So the Southern, the Southern Democrats wanted, oh, we're actually, well, the Kansas-Nebraska Act was a, I guess, a compromise. A, and the Southern Democrats had approached Franklin Pierce and, and said, Actually, we want you to support this, or we can't. Uh, we want you to sign the Kansas-Nebraska Act, or we won't be supporting your um, presidency. And uh, Franklin Pierce reluctantly signs it. He was reluctant because uh, this would overturn the Missouri Compromise, um, which did not have popular sovereignty, and well, and. Uh, but Franklin Pierce pays for this because um, in the 1856 Democratic Convention anyways, because I, I don't think if, if he hadn't signed the Kansas-Nebraska Act, I don't know if he even wins the election. I mean, wins the nomination in 56 either because, because, the, Demo because the Democratic Southerners were, were saying... We're asking him to sign it because it was at least in the step in the, in the direction of be, of the like the pro-slavery direction, but fifty-six. Uh, but so Lewis Cass, um, Stephen Douglas, and Franklin Pierce—they're all. They're uh, Lewis Cass was was in was in the Senate at this time. They were all stained with the blood of Kansas, Nebraska. And so, uh, in 1852, they were all contenders for the Democratic nomination. Franklin Pierce wins. Well, so, and Buchanan, Buchanan was the runner-up in 1852. And eight, in the, during Pierce's administration, 
uh, Buchanan was the minister was uh, I think a minister to England or to Russia. So he wasn't involved uh, in um, Kansas, Nebraska. So he wins fifty six and replaces and he wins the Democratic nomination in fifty six eighteen fifty six and then in um, the general election he wins, but uh, and he replaces the entire cabinet of. Franklin Pierce. He didn't. He didn't want a single member of Franklin Pierce's cabinet. And during this time, like in 1857, he, you can say, as a president-elect, he colluded with uh, Chief Justice Roger Taney in the Dred Scott decision, which um, the Dred Scott was, you know, a a black man who. A slave, a former slave, who, who was suing for his freedom, in the in the ter and he because he escaped to I think a free territory, I might be wrong about this, but the Dred Scott decision establishes that black people not, uh, that Dred Scott couldn't sue for his freedom because black people cannot be citizens, even though this is false because um, <laughs> there were blacks voting. Um, in the early founding period, but it but what more importantly politically, it um it is it uh, rejects the the idea of of popular sovereignty, and says both Congress and the territories don't have the right to rejects uh, to to restrict slavery. It's only the states that have the have the authority to restrict slavery. So this rejects both what the Republicans, the Northern the Northern Whigs, because after Kansas, Nebraska, the Southern Whigs and Northern Whigs split apart and would uh, split apart the Whig party. The so Southern Whigs, obviously, well, I don't want to get too, I don't know too much about the Southern Whigs, but they were against, but they were for Kansas, Nebraska, because what they wanted was they didn't want the they wanted slavery in the, to to be in, allowed in the territories, but they and they supported Kansas Nebraska because they because they were afraid that slavery the slave states would become a minority if if they if slavery was altogether forbidden in the territories. So it was at least moving in the direction of the the slave power, but Northern Whigs were of course against it, and and well, uh, were against the Kansas Nebraska Act, and so they, so the Democrats, uh, the Whigs split, and then there was also you know some split among the Democrats, but not among Northern Democrats. Some were in favor of Kansas Nebraska, others were against. But it was not enough to to destroy the the party. There were enough Northern Democrats who sided with Southern Democrats on Kansas, Nebraska, on the pro slavery side. But it gets eight. But um, eighteen fifty seven, Buchanan thinks James Buchanan thinks this settles the issue of slavery altogether. Only only the the Southern states, only the states 
have the authority to regulate slavery. So 1860 comes around and James uh, Jefferson Davis talks about each of the four parties. It was the Constitutional Union Party by John Bell. It was attracting, it was supposed to attract Southern Whigs. Uh, there was the Republican Party, which, well, the Republican Party was founded in 1854 and it had lost, to, uh, its, its candidate John C. Fremont had lost in 56 to James Buchanan. But the Republican Party was now under, or was now, now had Abraham Lincoln as the presidential nominee. Then there were the Democrats. And he goes, uh, Jefferson Davis goes into the split with the Democrat Party. He, the, the, the only reason why Abraham Lincoln wins is because they split. Why do they split? Because the Northerners wanted Stephen Douglas, who was, who, who was still advocating for popular sovereignty, which went against Dred Scott and to Southerners because, because you, they're going against the, because Dred, because Stephen Douglas was going against what, against what the Supreme Court had said. Southern, <laughs> Southerners were, we're saying this is unconstitutional. You need to, you need to, we need to reject popular sovereignty altogether. So they not nominated um, the uh, James Buchanan's vice president, John Breckinridge from Kentucky, who interestingly enough was from, uh, was from, <laughs> was um, the son of John Breckinridge, uh, uh, the uh, the attorney general during uh, Thomas Jefferson's second term as president, and uh, I'll get into Kentucky in a little bit. But the volume one B talks about about how secession happened. South Carolina in December of eighteen sixty. After well, okay, before before I get into South Carolina secession. Uh, Jefferson Davis had believed that if all three of the the anti republic of the anti republican parties, that is uh, the Constitutional Union, the Northerners, Northern Democrats, and the Southern Democrats, if they had just aligned under one ticket to defeat the Republicans, then then the Republicans would never control the White House. Or uh, the problem is, uh, and he he was sure that John Bell and John Breckinridge would do this. Would would be willing to step aside for to to be a united front against the Republicans. The problem was Stephen Douglas. Stephen Douglas had told Jefferson Davis that it was uh, that if he withdrew his fr from the race, then all his votes would go to would go to. Um, Abraham Lincoln and the Republicans, which looking back at it now is nonsense because Stephen Douglas wins one state. He wins one state and he was, he was afraid that, that, that if he went, all his votes would go to the Republicans. Like if you only win one state, then, uh, and when you look back at it, you're like, oh, you must be thinking, oh, that was so dumb. I sh I shouldn't. Why did I, why did this even happen? But, uh, yeah, because the Democrats split the vote, the Republicans were able to win <laughs> a, 
and he helped uh, win the majority in the Electoral College. And um, Jefferson Davis calls this a sectional majority because it was northern, the northern uh, because the Republicans were completely northerners. And so now um, I'll get into South Carolina. And um, now South, Car uh, South Carolina, when, when they learned in December that Abraham Lincoln would become president, they, uh, uh, the state legislature would call for a secession convention. And um, it was, the convention was unanimous in voting against, uh, voting for slavery, I mean, for, for secession. And it, it became, and it became, and South Carolina became an independent republic in December. And it was also known as the Palmetto Republic, informally called because its, uh, its flag had a palmetto tree. So Jefferson Davis talks about how the other southern states, now um, after they learned of South Carolina's secession, they were, they were thinking, are we going to join them? Or are we going to just let South Carolina live as its own republic and just let them be there? And um, so there was this debate among state, among the southern states. Should we leave or should we go? And there, in the appendix of volume one, which is at the end, uh, the appendix is at the end of the volume, uh, Jefferson Davis had at, uh, Jefferson Davis had some, some speeches there, including his exchange with uh, Senator Andrew Johnson from Tennessee, who would later become uh, the vice president of Abraham Lincoln and eventually president. T uh, and they were both saying, we don't want a civil war. Uh, that they both did not want a civil war, but Johnson was loyal to the Union, while uh, Jefferson Davis, his state wanted, was wanting to leave. And um, Jefferson Davis, uh, sorry, Andrew Johnson says to Jefferson Davis, why, why are you leaving? We have a majority, a Democratic majority in the Senate. We can block any of Abraham Lincoln's appointments. We still have a check on presidential power. So, so why are you even leaving? We don't, there's no, there's no need for secession. And, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, this, this position, I mean, the fact that <laughs> Andrew Johnson remained loyal to the Union he would eventually be rewarded as vice by becoming Abraham Lincoln's second vice president, but uh, and later he would become president upon Lincoln's assassination. But uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, but Jefferson Davis was still against secession. No, was still in favor of secession because that is what the people of Missouri wanted, and he represented the state of Missouri. Sorry, Mississippi. He was from Mississippi. I'm sorry. Uh, and so, in January, six other southern states 
Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, Florida, um, Georgia. Must I must be missing something? Um, but uh, yeah, the six other states um, decide to leave and join South Carolina to become a con a confederacy, and Thomas uh, Jefferson Davis talks about how he was elected as president. Well, under they had a provisional constitution, and then later a, a permanent constitution. And what what I found interesting in the provisional constitution is is uh, slave uh, is that um, their their treason um, section said uh, uh, talked about how treason is would only constitute as making war against the Confederacy or giving aid or comfort to its enemies, and it uses it instead of instead of them, like in the United States Constitution. But in the permanent constitution of the Confederate States, they would they would go back to using the plural them. Uh, treason um, shall only consist of uh, waging war against them or giving their enemies aid and comfort. Or I, I'm I'm paraphrasing, but I found that interesting. The 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 provisional constitution is is in the appendix Jefferson Davis's ap appendix as well as um the United States Constitution and the the permanent Confederate Constitution they're actually listed side by side in the appendix so for comparison and um Jefferson Davis makes it clear that he had he had no intention of that of becoming president when when uh, he keeps telling us that he he didn't he had no idea that he would be elected president, but um, and he had no like he was he was he had no plans of becoming president when um, the confederate when confederacy was oh uh, when the states had first started to secede, but um, he also uh, one of the um, the speeches he gives was um, uh, his farewell address to the United States Senate was about uh, talks about Calhoun about how he deeply admired Calhoun but but um, because because secession was happening right now right then Calhoun and nullification would be confounded with secession he says nullification is a is a remedy for the union while secession is trying to leave the union and so these are diametrically opposed but somehow they get confounded together because they're both pro states rights positions jefferson davis also talks about um a judge about how there was a, a whig judge in his state who believed in nullification but uh he actually, but Jefferson Davis actually did not believe in nullification. And he talks a little bit about the beginning of the, of the, 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 the tensions between James Buchanan and South Carolina and Major Anderson, who was, 
who was in charge of the federal forts in like federal uh, Fort Sumter in South Carolina. And James Buchanan, uh, Jefferson Davis expresses his deep disappointment with Buchanan about how he didn't just let, just let, let them leave, let the federal troops leave, withdraw the, tr withdraw the troops entirely and just let South Carolina as a sovereign state um, have control over it. Have of and um, but um, Jeff, uh, Jeff, uh, James Buchanan also disappointed Lewis Cass, who was a strong union man. And Lewis Cass resigns in December because because he doesn't he doesn't fortify, he doesn't send reinforcements to Fort Sumter, so he doesn't please either Davis or or um, Cass. Um, and, uh, but there was no war under James Buchanan. It was, it was under, um, Lincoln that they had the war when Lincoln finally had, and, um, Lincoln basically agitated them. He tricked them, tricked the South Carolinians into attacking Fort Sumter, which, which he used this as the basis to, to call for 75,000 volunteer troops to invade the Confederacy and South Carolina was willing to or the uh to to purchase the territories to purchase the forts from them but um yeah um they they uh in Washington DC I think will uh Secretary of State William H Seward was was uh avoiding them and so they were they were ne never able to purchase the territories. James Buchanan had said that I have no he, that he has no power vested in him to recognize uh, a, a state that had left the Union as a foreign state, <laughs> and um, I'd say that that um, he he see. see James Buchanan believed that secession was illegal, but he would not use. But it was good. I believe, like it was good that he um, did not use military force to coerce them. But his opinion is um, was not that. But the fact that he believed in that that it was unconstitutional. He was not. He was not pleasing either side. Either the either the pro secessionists, those who who were who believed secession was constitutional and those who believe it was un unconstitutional he wasn't he wasn't pleasing either side and um he did sign the Corwin amendment which would have permanently forbade the United States from ever touching slavery in the in the states which Lincoln strongly supported and you could say that <laughs> Lincoln's fingerprints were all over the Corwin amendment which um but um it was, but there was no war under Buchanan. It, it was under Lincoln that there there was a war, and um, so it goes into the a bit of the uh, Jefferson Davis goes a bit into the details of the war about how he has Jefferson Davis introduced conscription, and then he said, "I he he goes into some really legal details about how he has the power to do conscription and the and the constitution." No, the constant. I mean, the, to to obtain troops from the militia, or and that the Constitution does not 
declared that it has to be volunteer troops. It could be, he said that there's only two ways to get, to get troops in the militia, either volunteer or conscription. And he said, I wasn't, because the constitution doesn't specify that it had to be either, I, I'd use both, which I guess, no, that, that I'll, then I can use conscription. Then I, like, I guess that it wasn't, it's constitutional, at least from his point of view, but it's kind of a scumbag move to do that because his fair, in his farewell address and also the, you know, the preamble to the, to the Confederate constitution, we, the people of the Confederate States with each state acting in its own sovereign ability, uh, it's kind of anti-states rights. And I guess I, w I would predict in volume two that you would find the states opposed to, to many of his policies, Jefferson Davis's policies. And he, he talks about um, the tariff as well, about how the Confederate Constitution explicitly outlaws protective tariffs and only allows certain internal improvements on, har on the harbor, which, the ter which is part of the, which was the sor source of sectional conflict, the, the economics, because the, the Republicans wanted internal improvements and high tariffs. And the um, and they and uh, yeah they they wanted a this was the the big economic difference between the two, between the two. So I've I've rambled on for about an hour, and it's a really detailed book. Just volume one. I haven't even read volume two yet, but. I would say that as a Canadian, how this affects us, us Canadians, was, is that um, there is no equivalent, a uh, Tenth Amendment, Tenth Amendment equivalent in, a, in, the, in the Canadian Constitution. Uh, the, the war affected the, the, the Civil War, or the war between the states, whatever you want to call it, the war for Southern independence, the war of Northern aggression, they uh really uh it affected Canada because they were drafting the uh the the constitution for Canadian Confederation. Uh they started back in uh even during the war. Uh, during the war, like in eighteen sixty four there was the Quebec City Conference and then later in later eighteen sixty seven would be the Charlottetown Conf conference. But in section the end of section ninety one you have basically the federal government has all the powers that are not explicitly delegated, which is basically the opposite of of um, the Tenth Amendment. So this war, and and also I, I guess I should note that John A. Macdonald, if he really had his way, he he would uh, Canada would be a unitary state rather than a confederated one. Um. The, the war the war deeply affected how our constitution was written and it, although it is a confederated constitution but it is more centralized in the there's more power centralized in the federal government in Canada compared to the constitution of the United States or or the and of course the confederate 
state's constitution. So it's been an hour. Um, I'll uh, make sure to update you guys on volume two. But if you're watching this, if you're still watching this, thanks for tuning in. And hopefully by next month or the month after, I'll be able to finish volume two.